Amen. We thank the men for bringing those messages and song, and they've taken us back to the cross this evening. And I'm going to take us back to the cross in the scriptures as well. John chapter 18, please. Uh, just a little bit before the Lord was crucified. John chapter 18, same chapter we're in this morning around the table. And if you remember, the Lord's been in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And this uh, mob, this, this band of weapon-wielding Jewish officials had come to take him away. And this evening we're going to break in at verse 12 of John 18. I'll pick out a few verses as we go along, but verse 12 of John chapter 18. It says, Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And jump forward then to verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I speak openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. And push on then to verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate went out unto them and said, Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up to thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all, but ye have a custom. That I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And we'll end there. We'll push into chapter 19 and look at a few verses there as well. But we'll end the reading there. And thank the Lord for his precious word to us. A few years ago, the website London Mums published a list of favorite fairy tales for children as voted by over a thousand mothers. The list contained classics such as Jack and the Beanstalk, The Three Little Pigs, and Cinderella. 
But the one that topped the list, and I'll not ask you to guess which one it is, but the one that topped the list with over a quarter of the vote was the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. I don't know how well you know it, but it centers around a young girl, Goldilocks, who finds a house in a forest with no one inside. She goes in and she sees three bowls of porridge on the table. She tries the first bowl, a big one, but the porridge is too hot. She tries the next one and the porridge is too cold. And then she tries the little one and it's perfect. So she eats it. She then moves on and tries the chairs, the first two big, the next two uncomfortable, but the third one, the little one, is just right. So she rocks back and forward and ends up breaking the chair. She then goes into the bedroom and tries the beds. The first one's too hard, the second one way too soft, but the third one, the third one's just right. And she snuggles up and goes to sleep. Now I'll not spoil it for you by telling you what happens and who comes back, but you can figure that one out for yourself. But Goldilocks never comes out of the story too well. She never comes out with a good reputation. She hadn't done anything to deserve the porridge. And yet she picks through them to find the one she wants. She wrecks the little chair, even though she had no right to criticize any of them, let alone sit on them. And then she thinks she can just go and lie down where she likes. She had no right to be there. And yet throughout the story, she's acting like she's the one calling the shots. Like she's the one that gets to decide what's acceptable and what's not. And what I'd like to suggest to you this evening is that when God opens his arms in mercy to invite men and women to come to him, to have their sins forgiven, to know Jesus as their personal savior, I think that most people are like Goldilocks. They have no right to be invited. They have no right to be invited to come to God. They've done nothing to earn the privilege that God has offered them. Salvation from sin, eternal blessing from he- in heaven. None of us deserves that. And yet that's what God freely offers, full restoration and deliverance from the destruction of sin. But I wonder, rather than accepting the awesome privilege that's been given, incredible gift of receiving Jesus as he is, is there someone here tonight, someone maybe listening online that's, being a bit of a Goldilocks. I mean, I'd like some porridge, but that seems a wee bit too hot. The salvation you talk about, it seems good. A home in heaven, yeah, I'd go along with that. But I don't want all that religious stuff. I like the idea of Jesus, but I don't want to go to church. I don't want to have this thing to have any actual impact on my life. Or maybe you think it's all a bit soft. What about all those boys thumping the pulpits and standing in the streets? I fancy a bit of that. I don't want to go toe-to-toe with somebody. I'd like a fight. But I'm not on for all that meekness and humility nonsense. Instead of accepting Jesus as he is and enjoying the assurance of sins forgiven, you're prepared to walk away because he's just not quite right. You want a savior, you need a savior. But you've decided that Jesus Christ just doesn't quite tick all the boxes. Well, tonight I want to share three groups of people who came face to face with Jesus Christ and rejected him because he wasn't quite the savior they were looking for. They didn't object to the idea of a deliverer. They didn't object to the concept that they might need saved. They just didn't want to accept the one who was offering it to them. 
As we look at these three groups, I want to remind the Christians tonight, we don't get to decide the kind of Jesus we follow. We serve the King of Kings. We follow his word. We follow him as he is. We have no right to just pick and choose the parts we like and the parts we don't. Accepting the characteristics that bring us comfort and dismissing the ones that challenge our attitudes. We follow the Lord. We follow him as he is. In all his fullness, in all his authority, in all of his control as we find him in our Bible. These three groups were confronted by the Lord and yet when they saw him, he wasn't the Lord they wanted. They wrongly thought that they had the right to pick and choose. First group we're thinking about comes from verses 19 to 24. And it's the Jewish leaders. Jesus had been betrayed, betrayed by Judas Iscariot. There's another one who decided that Jesus wasn't the savior he wanted. And his decision cost him his life. More than that, secured his eternal destruction. And I started this message by talking about a fairy tale, but this is where it gets serious. Some of these people in John chapter 18 got one opportunity with the Savior. One single face-to-face encounter with the one who could give them eternal life. One who could give them real hope. The only Savior to men and women. And the reality is that no one knows how many opportunities you'll get. You don't know that. If you don't know the Lord tonight, you need to realize that as we look into the Word of God together... You're coming face to face with Jesus. This is your opportunity. And again, the question is asked, as it's been asked before and asked to you before, will you accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Will you accept the Lord Jesus as he is? Will you accept him as Lord? Not the Lord you want, but receiving him as the perfect Redeemer that he is, the only Savior that you need. In verse 19, the high priest of the synagogue questions the Lord Jesus about his disciples and about his teachings, about his doctrine. And Jesus answered and said, well, I was open. I didn't preach in secret. I spoke in the synagogue. I had respect for the Jews and for their customs. If you don't know, ask them. I was 100% clear in all my teachings, clear in my intentions. I was clear in my mission." If we go back in the book of John, we can see that Jesus was abundantly clear in his teachings. At the beginning of John 6, for example, the Lord's teaching in the synagogue and he says, I am the bread of life. He goes on to share that if the people were to take this bread, sent of God, they would never hunger again. Not spiritually anyway. He taught them that he was the answer to their spiritual hunger, that he was the answer to the emptiness between them and God. He was the one who could restore them. And to be restored, all they had to do was trust him. He was clear. And just to prove he was clear, the religious leaders knew exactly what he was claiming. You can see that in the next chapter. They were conspiring to arrest him. And they argued with each other and they said, but what if it's true? What if he is the one who can bring us back to God? The answer in John chapter 7 that came back was no, he can't be the answer because he's from Galilee. What good can come out of Galilee? 
If there's one thing's for certain, God wouldn't send us a deliverer from Galilee. You see, Galilee was common. It was insignificant. It wasn't Jerusalem. It wasn't Jericho. It wasn't one of the holy mountains. It was Galilee. And even more concerning, he was from Nazareth. Even within Galilee, Nazareth was even less well thought of. Nathaniel, one of Jesus' disciples, when he first heard that this might be the Son of God, he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You see, for the religious leaders, Jesus was too common. He was too common to be their savior. They didn't want a common man to be their link to God. They wanted a hero, a victor, someone who shared their love of pomp and ceremony. They'd watched in John chapter 9 as Jesus healed the blind man on the Sabbath. Like, how dare he? How dare he say this man's sins were forgiven? How dare he heal on the Sabbath day? They didn't want someone who would disregard Sabbath. They wanted an extremist. Someone who would take all of the religious boxes. That was the kind of savior they wanted. What they didn't understand was that Jesus was teaching them about their own blindness. They didn't need an extremist. They needed a savior. They didn't need a national revolution. They needed a personal restoration. One who could remove their spiritual blindness and make them see the way to God isn't through religion. It's through a person. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. They questioned his origins. They questioned his teachings. And they questioned his friends. Fishermen. Uneducated, ignorant fishermen. And a tax collector. Somebody that everybody universally hated. And Jesus was friends with them. He was described as the one who receives sinners and eats with them. It didn't matter what he said here. They'd already decided by the time it got to John 18. He was too common to be their savior. I wonder, is that you this evening? doesn't matter what you tell me. My mind's made up. He's too common. It's too easy. It's too straightforward. Listen, if a light shone down from heaven right now and God spoke to me directly and said, I want you to trust in me, I want you to follow me, then I'd do it. I'd absolutely do it, but not this. I'm not getting excited about the story of a regular man who lived 2,000 years ago. So what? Big deal if he died. Everybody died. too common. It's too easy. If I'm going to believe in something, I want drama. I want fireworks. I want it to sweep me up. I want the ground to move. Well, can I tell you, folks, one day it will. Jesus will return from heaven with a shout, with the sound of a trumpet. The earth will shake and every eye shall see him. If you want drama, there's your drama. But by then it'll be too late. Jesus, the Son of God, revealed in flesh, came from heaven to live in lowly Galilee, to live a very deliberate life of peace and humility, to die in meekness and obedience. Why? Because if he came any other way, he couldn't be my Savior. He had to.
The leaders of the Jews rejected him. They hid him with their hands and they sent him away. They dismissed him because he was too common. Maybe tonight that's not your problem. You don't want to accept the Lord Jesus, but it's not because he's too common. It's not because he's too relatable. In fact, it's completely the opposite. If anything, he's far too religious. All of this church stuff, you don't get it. It's just far too religious. All this goodness and good living, this worshiping and praying, I can't be doing any of that. I'm not that person. Well, that's just like Pilate. Verse 28 says, And they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, that's the high priest, to the hall of judgment, that was Pilate's place. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate, the governor, then went out to them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? He's saying, Why have you brought him to me? I'm a Roman governor. This man is a Jew. But okay, I'm listening. Tell me why he's here. Tell me about him. Maybe that's the attitude you come with tonight. Maybe that's the attitude you've tuned in with. I don't know why you're presenting this man to me. But I'm listening. Tell me about him. Tell me about him so I can make my own decision. Tell me about him so I can see what kind of saviour he is. Tell me about him so I can see if I want him or not. And Pilate, the governor, standing in front of the Son of God, begins to probe and to question. He's wanting to build up a profile of the Savior. He wants to know who he is. He asks, first of all, what has he done? What accusation are you bringing? And there was nothing. There was no accusation. And so Pilate concludes he's innocent of all charges. We see that in verse 38. He's innocent. It's the first thing he learns about the Savior. In verse 33, he asks, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this yourself, or did someone else tell you? And Pilate learns his second thing about the Lord Jesus. Firstly, he's innocent. And second, he expects a personal response. He continues to probe, verse 35, your nation has delivered you unto me. What have you done? And Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a big statement. Pilate learned that he was innocent, saw that he demanded a personal response, and thirdly, realized that he comes with heavenly authority. My kingdom is not of this world. He says in verse 37, art thou a king then? And Jesus responds, for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. He learns a fourth thing. He's innocent of all charges. He expects a personal response. He comes with heavenly authority and he brings a message of truth. Pilate was not a stupid man. He was astute. He was clever. His questions had led him to a wonderful understanding of who Jesus was. A man with heavenly authority. A man with a message of truth. A man innocent of all charges. A man who demands a personal response. 
Dear friend, Jesus stands in front of you this evening. In all your life, you may have accused him of all sorts. Accused him of hating you. Accused him of bringing you harm, of causing you conflict. Accused him of snatching, accusing him of snatching the joy of life away from you. But friend, he's innocent of those charges. He stands tonight with the authority of heaven. He alone speaks words of absolute and undiluted truth. And he waits right now. He waits, expecting a personal response. What kind of Savior is he? You might have a profile built up in your head, words that you've happily labeled the Lord Jesus with, maybe tarred all Christians with. You've dismissed them as dreamers, haters, narrow-minded bigots. Let me ask you the same question that Jesus asked Pilate. Are those your own thoughts? Have you actually come to your own conclusions or did somebody else tell you what to think? Did someone tell you what you ought to think of Christ? Imagine rejecting God's message of salvation on the basis of somebody else's testimony. That would be tragic. And yet many men and women have died without Christ, died without hope, died in their sins because they believed the lies of others. They believed the lies of the devil. Jesus demands a personal response. Never mind what you've been told. What do you think of Jesus? Pilate was faced with that question, faced with the decision. And in rejection of the Lord Jesus, he says in verse 35, Am I a Jew? What's this got to do with me? I'm not religious. I'm not your type of person. This isn't for me. The religious leaders rejected Christ because he was too common. Pilate rejected him because he was too religious. He was too Jewish. The reasons were different. They were vastly different. They couldn't have been more different. But folks, the outcome was exactly the same. Both of them rejected the perfect, sinless, spotless Son of God. The God who left heaven to become subject to the laws and limitations of mankind, who lived a perfect life and suffered the shame of a cruel death. And he did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for them and they rejected him. See, the problem was never that he was too common. It wasn't that he was too religious. The problem, and I say this gently, the problem is never with Christ. He is altogether lovely. The glory of the Father, the sinless, perfect Lamb of God. The problem is never with Jesus. The problem is always with us. Verse 38, and Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? He went out to the Jews saying, I find no fault in him, yet within ours he had condemned him to die. What is truth? It's not the problem today. You're not allowed to say what truth is. Everyone has to decide for themselves. There's no absolute truth. You just get to pick and choose whatever you want to believe and bin the rest. It's like the Build-A-Bear shop. People think they can just pick and choose their own saviour. 
construct for themselves what they want to believe in. Nothing too common, nothing too religious, nothing too much hard work, nothing that requires me to relinquish control. And sure, we'll all get to heaven in the end, won't we? What is truth? John chapter 14, verse 6 gives us the definitive answer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You don't reach God except through Christ. That's truth. Not the way that makes you feel comfortable or the way that makes you feel alive or the way that makes you feel like you've earned it. You don't reach God. Full stop. Except through Christ. You don't get to heaven except through salvation. We don't get to make our own saviour. Christ is the answer, the only way to God, and we either accept Jesus as he is or we reject him like Pilate and the religious leaders and be lost forever. John chapter 19, verse 1 says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, whipped him. The soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Here, briefly, we have our third and final group. The religious leaders who decided he was too common. Pilate concluded he was too religious. And now these soldiers in their mockery place a crown of thorns on his head, a purple robe of mock royalty on his back and cry, Hail, King of the Jews. This couldn't be their savior. I mean, look at him. He was broken. He was beaten. He was bruised. This man was far too weak. He was too weak to be their savior. He called himself a king and look at him. No wonder do you look at God and expect him to be doing more. Do you look at Christians and wonder why they're not fighting? And do you look at Jesus and think of him as weak? How can one like that, the Son of God, allow himself to be taken so easily? How can a king allow himself to be stripped and beaten and hung on a tree? How could that be the one that I'm supposed to depend on? How could that be the one that I should give my life to? Surely I'd be better off on my own. If I need someone, then I need someone strong. I need a warrior, a protector, a leader, not a weak, helpless man with no fight. But let me tell you the story of Salvo de Quisto. An Italian soldier sent to keep order in the village of Torrem Pietra in September of 1943. A group of Nazis approached the village and immediately started rounding up local men. You see, a German soldier had been killed the previous day in a nearby village and they wanted revenge. And since they had no idea who had committed the murder, they were going to kill a load of people from the village. When he saw what was going to happen, this young Italian, Salvo de Quisto, stepped forward and took full responsibility for the crime. The others were immediately set free as he faced the firing squad alone. An innocent man allowed himself to be taken. He didn't fight. He didn't defend himself. He just handed himself over so the others could go free. Did that make him weak? 
made him a hero. Twenty-two men in the village of Torum Pietra that day owed their lives to the sacrifice of Salvo de Cristo. How many more owe their lives to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Yes, he could have fought them. Yes, he could have resisted them. Yes, he could have defeated them. And he needn't have died. But then I would be condemned to hell forever. Yet today I stand in the assurance of a home in heaven because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Too weak to be my saviour? I praise God he chose weakness. Because only by his weakness can I be saved. Without his death, the punishment would have been mine. And I would be in hell. Too common to be my saviour? I praise God he chose to be common. He chose to be humble. Because I needed one I could relate to. I needed a saviour who understood my weaknesses. A saviour who feels what I feel. A saviour prepared to lay his life down humbly for the sake of others. Too religious to be my saviour? I praise God that he sent his only son, Jesus. God the son, fully God yet fully man. Yes, he knows my weaknesses, but I needed a saviour with the power to come back from the dead. A saviour who could permanently speak on my behalf to the judge of all the earth. I needed a priest, an advocate, an intercessor because only then do I know that my sins have been paid for. Because of him I stand justified, free, perfect in the sight of God. Too common? Nope. Too religious? I don't think so. Too weak? Not a chance. Not my saviour. Folks, I don't know exactly where you stand before God tonight. I don't know who's listening. I don't know every heart in here. If you don't know the Lord as your saviour, don't be like Goldilocks. Don't spend your time picking and choosing the kind of saviour you'd like. When the only saviour you could ever need is standing right now asking you to come to him. Don't faff around like you've got all the time in the world. You don't know what time you've got. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He said, behold, now is the day of salvation. Jesus is the way. Don't throw it away because he doesn't fit your lifestyle. Don't throw it away because he doesn't fit your profile. Don't throw it away because he doesn't fit your timing. Don't throw it away because what you're actually throwing away is your own soul. You're throwing away hope. You're throwing away joy. You need to get right with God and you need him now. That can only happen through Jesus. He's the only saviour that counts. I pray that tonight, if you don't know him, you'll come to him and be saved for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your word and to examine what it has to say to us. 
And Lord, I don't know every heart in here. I don't know every heart that's paying attention online. But praise God, you do. You know the needs of every heart. You know those that are struggling, Lord. You know those that are questioning things. You know those that have dismissed the Lord for years. I pray that tonight they'll come and respond to the call of the Savior. And ask these things in your precious name. Amen. We're going to sing 319, please. A hymn that reminds us that the Lord is there waiting for us to come to him. Sinner, how thy heart is troubled, God is coming very near. Do not hide thy deep emotion. Do not check that falling tear. The chorus says, O be saved. His grace is free. O be saved. He died for thee. O stand to sing. Uh, just the first and last, please. <laughs>